Yes, it's that time of the week again when we talk all things pets. Welcome. We do have Dr. Paul McCarthy in today to answer any of your questions. And we don't see this lady in very often. Julie Tolliday, welcome. Thanks, Charlie. Now, we've got um, some you know, pros and cons with what's happened with our pets since COVID-19. So we're going to have a chat about some of that. Yeah, great. Jill from Cardiff, you've got a question uh, for Dr. Paul McCarthy. Yes, I do. Fire How are you going today? Well, thank you, Jill. Okay, I've got a little chihuahua, and we just got a new security door, and he's never done it before, but lately he just keeps on winging on the door. Yep. Okay. So, um, because... So, the, the previously, did you have a door you could see through at all? Yes, yep. yep. It was, it was a glass door? No. Okay. So, so with opaque doors, often what dogs have is a, often a false sense of security. So what your dog is doing is actively trying to mark that area as its own territory um, because now there's um, breezes and smells coming through from the outside that are letting him get the odour of other animals in his environment. So he needs to let everybody else know that this area is still mine. That's clever. Yeah. It's a really common thing for small breed dogs in particular because often small breed dogs like Chihuahuas um, rely very heavily on letting everyone know that they're there smell-wise because if they try to bluff larger dogs with their physical appearance, they don't often win, obviously. No, <laughs> so so no, what they're no. trying to do is if another dog was in the area, they would smell where he was and then go, oh, this area is claimed, I'll move along. Oh, okay. So there's really nothing I can do to stop him from winning. Yeah, so it's about um, trying to have him feel confident that he doesn't need to mark that territory quite as often. Um, so it would be encouraging him to um, urinate in your front garden more than your back garden. Um, oh, is, is, sorry, is your door towards the back of your house or the front of your house? The front of the house. Yes. So every dog which goes past, he just barks, barks, barks. Yeah. So if, if he was, a, if you were able to take him out to urinate more towards your front gate and your front fence line, um, yep. he would then use that as his border rather than your oh, front door. Okay. So oh, it's often right. about encouraging him whenever you were going to have him out for urination, encourage him to go in that front section of your house so that yep. the, we've sort of extended his boundary to the front fence rather than needing to mark the front door. Oh, okay then. Yep. We'll, we'll try that with him. Yeah, and I mean, you can also discourage him from that door as well. So you can use things like often things that smell of citrus um, deter dogs from and cats from urinating in that area. So things like oh, okay. lem- lemon sprays or um, citrus-based cleaners can sometimes make an area feel like I don't want to urinate there because it smells so strongly. Paul, how long roughly will it take to break that habit? If it's only just started, it shouldn't take very long at all, actually. Excellent. So um, as with all of us, if a behaviour initially is stimulated by a trigger, it occurs um, sort of quickly. If it becomes a habit, it then stays locked in as concrete. So if you can act on a new behaviour as quickly as you can to modify it, you'll get a far better response than allowing a behaviour to sort of kick in for a few months before you make the change. That is such an interesting one. So you're saying the door before it was, he could see through and and was solid. It was solid, so there wasn't smells smells. coming through. So it's about that whole idea. And and chihuahuas by their breed type are often quite a nervous dog. And so because of that, they're very conscious of 
making sure that they're remaining safe. Sure. And the best way to stay safe when you're little is to let everybody know you're there yes. so that you can try and bluff them away with that ownership. Be proactive. That's right. <laughs> oh, I'm very impressed with that, Ed. That's very interesting. It's Pet Chat. See, if you've got a problem that you need solved, this is the place to call, 49216216. Now, we're going to go to you, uh, Julie, and you've made a bit of a list, you know, the pros and cons of our pets and what's happened with COVID, but you've got some interesting facts for us as well. Yeah, so I just thought that I'd run through them and open for um, discussion for yes. us. Is my voice too loud? That's no, right. I just I forgot to put the microphone on. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so the good news about COVID was that a lot of people decided now was the time to go out and rescue a dog. So, of course, all the shelters and rescue groups were happy that dogs were going out into homes. Yeah. The bad news about that was a lot of those rescue dogs were in care because somebody else couldn't cope with them so it was other people's baggage was going out into people's homes now I don't know what the result of that has been but certainly people would need to be looking towards some sort of training whether it's a class to go to or whether they need a behavioral vet or whether they need any other sort of behaviorist to come and help them okay um uh, the good news about lockdown was that there was a chance to get that long-wanted puppy. They People grabbed that opportunity. Unfortunately, unscrupulous breeders and people with a male and female who thought they could join them together and make puppies have hiked the price up oh, into I've the heard thousands, about this. into the absolute thousands. And it's heartbreaking for us. We want to tell the world to put your hands back in your pockets. Don't buy anything in 2021 so that there's not a market there. That's the way. We just feel that strongly about it. So just wait so the market isn't there yeah, and people yeah. aren't breeding unnecessarily and making prices ridiculous. Yeah, look, just hold off. Yeah, oh, somebody near me, they own a poodle and a cavy and they went, look, let's put them together. We'll call them cavoodles. And they charged $6,500 each for them. Oh, that's mm. terrible. No, it's just, it was their pet dogs. Anyway, don't get me started. So <laughs> the good news uh, was that, once again, long, that long-awaited dog was bought and they did it online. And what happened was these people had never sort of really dipped their toe in and it's brought all the scammers out. And we're talking about scammers all over the world and what they've done is they've stolen the identity of real breeders and they're using that on fake websites and fake Facebook pages. And what they're doing, they've got all these ways of getting the money out of the people before there's ever... There's not a puppy. There's not a puppy. There was so they a, get the money first and mm, then there's mm. no There was no a puppy. woman in Tamworth that Jeez. had her identity stolen as a breeder and people were coming and bank, bank, belting down her door oh, saying, terrible. where's my puppy, where's my puppy? There's a really good Facebook page and I think it's worth looking at if you've got any thought, oh, I have to buy my puppy from Queensland. Oh, do you? Then learn these questions. It, the, the Facebook page is called Puppy Scam Awareness Australia. And the numbers have gone through the roof of people watching there. There's so much information from from real breeders and people who've bought online or people who've been scammed online. It's not a hysterical site where people are going ridiculous. It's just you learn what the red flags are. Okay. And I think that that's really important. Um, The good news was that people had more time at home with their dogs during lockdown and internationally, I've been listening to podcasts, internationally we're seeing more reactive dogs coming out of this lockdown period that they've lost 
their outdoor social skills. I'm seeing a little sausage dog at the moment and the owner's 82, you know, and he was fine and he's not now. He's scared of stuff. He's re- and we've got to reintroduce him to the environment. Okay. Um, I think, Julie, a lot of things happened was that because places couldn't run um, their pet preschools, their puppy preschools, oh, yeah. um, and so lots of these dogs were leaving their breeders um, they were in a lockdown situation in their homes. Um, if they were the only dog in that household, they might not see another dog until well beyond their socialisation period has Absolutely. ended. And so we're we're seeing those guys come through too. And I think it's been those really disappointing things that happened during COVID. Was that so when we had puppies coming through that were in the lockdown phase to our vet practice, we were actively encouraging them to meet their neighbours talk to their neighbours dogs try and do that there was the, the ability to go places was limited but try and have these dogs exposed to as much as they could even if they couldn't get to a class because it was just that exposure is critical in as you know in that socialization window and i think we're going to see disappointingly more of these reactive dogs coming through now because they haven't had that chance to socialize yes there was a really there's a wonderful trainer called emily emily lalam and she's her YouTube channel is called um, uh, Kiko Pup. She did a video during the pandemic and it's called How to Socialise Your Puppy During the Pandemic, but it's actually any time. And she talks about all those things that we know about gradual introduction and and doing it with food and other things that make the puppy feel good. But, you know, the the highlight of that video is she said, go in your car because it's your little bubble and go and park it at different places and expose your dog from your little portable bubble. Oh, that's clever. And I think that's not just pandemic, that's any time. Hmm. So um, I, I love her video, which is easily traceable on YouTube under okay. Kiko Pup. Okay. Yeah. Oh, there's some interesting stuff there, Julie. So, yeah, some great things have come out of it, but, you know, there's, there's always the yin and the yang, isn't yeah, there? Definitely. So thank definitely. you very much for joining us today. A- Welcome, Vicky from Mark's Point. Your dog is uh, licking the carpet. Yes. And I don't know. And I don't know what. I don't know. I don't know why. Um, can I ask um, what, you, what breed of dog you have? I've got a, a stuffy dog. Okay. And and how old is the is is it a puppy or an adult dog? She's an adult. She's an adult dog. She just turned fourteen in September. Okay. And is it a, a behaviour she's always done? Yeah, and I don't, and I don't know, and I don't know why. Yeah, so sometimes licking carpets can be a way for dogs to keep themselves entertained. So sometimes it's a boredom response. So dogs who have um, not enough stimuli in their environment will make their own games, and sometimes that can be licking objects. And um, interestingly, for some carpets in particular, if they're a very tactile carpet there's actually um, the sensation of feeling that rubbing along the tongue. So it could be that this is a behavioural game that your dog has developed over time, which just helps um, fill up the time uh, as a a play activity. Um, Sometimes also for dogs with very keen senses of smell, and and staffies certainly do have a very keen sense of smell, Um, it may be that there are odours that they're picking up in the carpets that will actually turn that 
um, similar to behaviour on. Um, we often see that in dogs, for example, who may lick pavers as well. And what they're actually doing is that they're being able to smell things beneath the pavers that simulate that, that um, licking response. So if you wish to try and break the behaviour, you could look at trying to, as soon as the behaviour began, you would restart a different kind of game. So staffies are often very ball or chase-based dogs. So you could simulate a ball game um, each time the licking be- was commencing to try and redirect their attention to a different activity. And often if you do that often enough, they'll actually then look for the ball or the game rather than licking the carpet. The second thing is often is if you vacuum your carpet more regularly, you'll have less of those odours in the carpet and that can often try and um, turn off that sort of hunting or, or sort of seeking behaviour that may be the stimulus for the licking as well. Okay, thanks very much for the call, Vicky. Welcome, Barry from Brankston. What's going on with your dog? Oh, she's lost her bark. Mm, okay, how old is your dog? She's about nine. She's very fit. And what breed of dog is she, Barry? She's a little healer. All right. So um, there are several ways. So, so the most common um, organ that your dog uses to make sound is the larynx. Now, the larynx has vocal folds in them, um, and these vocal folds move backwards and forwards to create what we hear as sound. Now, they're under both nervous and muscular control. So a dog that has lost its bark sadly may have developed a disease that affects either the way the nerves make the larynx move or have affected the actual muscles themselves like a growth or a mass that is occluding the larynx. So this is one of those circumstances where I would strongly advise a trip to your local vet to have that explored. Um, In the disappointingly... There can be diseases that require surgery to correct that scenario. Um, sometimes it can, the nerve function can be affected by hormonal diseases. So dogs who developed hypothyroidism, which is a lack of thyroid hormone, can have their nerve functions altered as well. And that can be a simple matter of having some medication given daily to try and boost those thyroid levels and the voice will return. But because of the fact that this can lead to swallowing difficulties and breathing difficulties, I would think this is a good indicator that he needs to be seen. Right. Um, I have taken her to the vet. Mm. Uh, she was checked out. They thought she was okay. And um, they gave me a, a, some antibiotics for her for a week. And did they make any difference? Not really. No. Um, sometimes, so... the vo- sometimes the bark is fine. Uh, she barks normally. Uh, and then sometimes it'll just get high-pitched. Oh, okay. So it's not that there's actually no voice, it's that the pitch is changing. Because yeah, that, that, yeah. that may mean that we're dealing with a higher level of anxiety. So if you're, so uh, dogs are similar to people. You can have yeah. people get excited and then people can yeah. become hysterical. And what, right. you, what you may be having is that your dog's previous barking is, I've just been excited by that event or I've sort of been a little bit anxious but not too worried, but now I'm reaching hysterical level and that's why the pitch yeah. is rising. So, right. it, yeah, so sorry, I misunderstood. I, I thought the voice had gone. But what, no. what's, what's actually happening there, I think, is this is, the vet's probably correct, this is not a physical or a manifestation of disease, but very strongly likely that this is a behavioural situation. And it possibly means your dog is being either overstimulated at those times or is having to deal with an experience that has previously made it nervous but is now making it very scared. 
and it'll be looking right. at trying to identify what that trigger event is when that pitch occurs to see if you could either desensitize your dog to that trigger or look at wow. trying to remove your dog from that trigger and therefore extinguish the fear. Right, it seems to be um, she loves to go into the car and it seems to be high-pitched when she's in the car. <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> that makes so, sense, doesn't so the, it? The, the car has either now reached a state where we're hyper-excitable, we're, we're so right. excited we can't control our excitement, we're now reaching that fever-pitch, hysterical screaming mode. Is that okay if they're excited or is that still uh, not good? Look, ideally no, because right. what, that, what that can often hide is that I'm actually scared of the vehicle and I'm manifesting right. that fear as this hysterical response. We always try and downplay those levels of excitement. So if it's about going to the vehicle, what you might do is you might actually wait, have your dog calm a little bit before you then get into the vehicle um, or you get into the vehicle and you wait for that behaviour to wind itself back a little bit before you even turn the engine on. Because what you want to do is not have your dog leaving your house in a state of hysteria. So it's about trying to make sure that dog is really relaxed prior to you departing so that the the actual event doesn't continue to build. Because what can happen with these is that each trip gets more and more hyper-stimulating and hyper-exciting and... um, that's when your dog can't hear you or see you. They, they right. don't have the, the ability to listen to your commands. So if you were in a situation where either a child was approaching or another dog was approaching, the dog may move into a, almost an unconscious level of movement where they're not really focusing. And it's important that we don't have dogs exposed to other people or dogs when they're in that really heightened state. Right. Well, she, she's very placid from that point of view. She's Perfect. a very friendly, friendly dog. And I'll tell you what, I, I can't get into the car as soon as fast enough. She's always in the car before me. Yeah, so I, I would wind that back a little bit. So similar to a super excited child, we, we try and wind them back a little bit as well before they become too hard to manage. Same rules for puppies and dogs. Hello, Kath from Medowing. Now, you've got a three-year-old foxy. What's going on? Well, I bought a, um, a, a, like a, a gadget that's called a Bark Study. And it supposedly emits an ultrasonic sound if they overly bark, which when she was doing to the night, they'd hear a possum outside and she'd just lift me off the blanket, you know, like with the bark. So I got that. And when we first got it, my daughter and I were experimenting with it. It didn't seem to affect any other dogs in the family. Then we realised all these puppets. And we found her down the backyard, under a bush, shaking, absolutely traumatised mm. by this by this thing. Yep. And I've tested it... I've, I've, Proved it a few times with her. It doesn't affect the other dog of mine. She doesn't even take any notice of it. But Tuppence was sound asleep on the lounge one day, and I thought, oh, I'll just try this. So I hid behind a brick wall, and I just clicked it, and she was awake like you would not believe. Yeah. So why does she hear it? Yeah. And other dogs don't. Okay, so your other dogs are hearing it, but you're, you're misinterpreting the reason that she's barking. So she's barking because she's scared. She's oh, no, not... she doesn't bark when I do that. No, so but that's just... that it's now reached such a level. So the reason that you wanted her to stop barking um, was because she was barking out of being scared. And now she's hearing this really high-pitched, almost terrifying sound in her head. And because she's already anxious, we've now pushed her to such a level that she has to escape that sound as best she can, which is why she runs. I, I would strongly recommend not using this device. Yeah, for that no, I've, yeah, no, I haven't used it since. It was yeah. just, um, but it was just funny how it. Um, like she would bark in the middle of the night, and I thought I'll be waking up like two or three times a night, and through the day she would bark 
just like crazily. Yes. But she's barking because she's nervous. No, no, no. No, she was barking because she heard a possum or something outside. But it all happened in the morning. The the sound makes her nervous. She doesn't know what it is, but she wants it to stay away from her. So she barks it away. She's giving them a warning. She's giving them the scare off. That's it. So if I I can't see it, I can't get to it, but I could try maybe barking it away because that sound could be a possum or it could be a monster coming to kill me. And so she can't tell the difference. But if she barks and and the sound goes away, I've I've protected myself. I've survived. And that's another procedure I'll then use the next time I'm nervous. But Mm -hmm. that sound, she can't get away from. It's like, oh, my gosh, this is a really scary thing coming for me now. And I I have to to get away from it. We were just pressing it to see what, you know, because when we weren't getting reactions from the other dog, and we, admittedly, we probably overpressed it because we couldn't hear anything. Yeah. And then we went and found, and she's... Now, another thing, too, while I've got you here, I, I did call you once before about her being um, really scared of little kids, and you, and you said that their body language is different. Mm. But she's also scared of little puppies. Yeah. My, my, my granddaughter brought a little pup, it's only like uh, two months old or whatever it was. And have you ever seen a fox cornered? Mm. Like, on a film where it's like burying its teeth, it's... it's Eyes are bulging out. I couldn't believe it. And you, and this, all this little puppy wanted to do was play with her. Yeah. So you brought yeah. another dog into a house. She's already scared in that house because she's been barking previously. She's already told you she's scared of children. And now I've got a dog that has no body language not, uh, skills at all who is coming up into my face and I'm doing all the things that I should be doing and showing the right body language. But puppies don't know how to read that yet. So the puppy is misreading your dog's behaviour. Your dog can't read the puppy's behaviour. She can't get away from the puppy because the puppy's invaded her home. And so her only defence then is to really try and show that she's as scary as she can. She's going to bare her lips. She's going to make as much sound as she can. She's going to tuck her ears back ready to fight if she needs to. She wants to bluff that puppy away as quickly as she can to stay safe. So it's the same principle as having kids. Correct. This, this it doesn't is a, this, matter that it's a puppy. It's no, the, the it's, 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 it's the same anxiety. lack of being able to read the body language. This your, your anxious dog doesn't really want to have a lot of people around it. It's feeling fairly pressured already. And so anything new or different that she can't really understand, she wants to have them go. She wants them to leave her alone. And her best way to have them leave her alone is to try and look as scary as she can. Okay, it's interesting. So, so back to the the sound buzzer. Mm. Um, it, if I've got this right, so it wasn't hurting her ears as such, and that's why the other dogs didn't react. Correct. It it's was not more painful. that she's in a state of anxiety anyway, and then and it's exacerbated by that sound, and that's why it didn't affect the other dogs because she had the anxiety to begin with with the that's barking. That's it. Okay. So if, if we if we liken it to a person, for example, who, um, well, let's make it a very simple one. People hear helicopters. We can all hear helicopters. But if you've been in a situation where you were in a war situation and heard a helicopter, that helicopter takes on an enormous amount of distress. The sound's exactly the same. So the buzzer's a trigger the, in the end. The, the buzzer, so this dog's already heightened to sound because the owner mentioned that we've already got reactions to possums, we've got reactions yes. to any sound in the house. This is a really intense sound yeah. but isn't yeah. going away. And no one's doing anything about it, so I've got to get away from it. I've got to run as far as I can. And the problem for that now is that we we increase that dog's anxiety about sound. 
So we could make a dog that was mildly sound phobic, now intensely sound phobic because she's had that scary experience. So bin the buzzer. Bin the buzzer. All right. Thanks very much, Kath from Madawi. Jenny, she's in Stroud. Now, you've got some issues with your dog as well, Jenny. Oh, yes. Um, a couple of little issues. Um, we adopted a, um, a 12-month-old Staffy um, Cross cattle dog uh, just pre uh, just beginning of COVID. And um, we've had a couple of behavioural issues with her, even though she's a beautiful dog. Um, mainly the uh, socialising thing, even though I feel that we did socialise her, um, I did put my feelers out for um, other dogs within the COVID rules to have her in the yard. And so she just adores playing with other dogs. And um, with the other man that rang before, he was talking about an extremely overexcitable dog. That's what Honey is. Mm. She She's overly excited. And I've started her at training at... Um, Raymond Terrace Terrific. at the um, dog training school. But I can't even get her in into the park without yep. her pulling. And, yeah. And so you've got a, a Staffy cross. So, so Staffies yeah. are always going to be either excited or overly excited. <laughs> they, they only sort of have two speeds. Um, and so you've also got a, um, a dog at an age where lots of things could have happened in the past that, that have made that dog really excited about seeing other people and other dogs. Or sometimes these dogs are so nervous about other dogs, they want to get to them and lick them and lick them and make them realise that they're safe so they can then feel safe themselves. So there's two possibilities for your dog's behaviour here. Um, I, I love the fact that you've sought out some training. That's terrific. But I think what you need to do initially is learn what the threshold is for that hyper-excitable response. So lots of dogs can be at a certain distance from their um, excitement or their trigger before their behaviour begins. And it would help for you to know that you could sort of be at the park a little bit earlier than the class starting, for example, and just do some walking around the oval or around the space so that she's learning to be calmer and more relaxed before other dogs and people arrive. And let your trainer know that your dog is hyper-excitable around people and around other dogs because they can put together some other um, training um, sort of skill levels for you to do that may have less direct attention or contact with other dogs. For some dogs, the threshold is just too short. I can't be in the same room with another dog before I'm super excited. And it could be that you need to do some of your training more at a distance that would help you keep that management, that sort of excitement under management control. Thank you for the call, Jenny, and good luck with that. We're going to go to Kate from Macquarie Hills now. Uh, Now, Kate, your dog is possibly suffering from anxiety also. Well, that's what I'd like to find out, whether that or the vet said she might just be talkative. (laughs) Okay. So what signs is she showing, Kate? Um, Look, she's a beautiful dog and loves me to death. Um, When I come home, she cries and whimpers and everything. If we go for a walk on lead or off lead, she just cries and whimpers the whole time. She's excited to go, but just it's it's embarrassing. Yeah. Okay. And, And your breed again, sorry, Kate? 
is a beagle Okay. So we've got a situation where the dog is telling you, I mm-hmm. am anxious. So I, I, yep. I would concur that this is less about being talkative and more about being anxious. Yep. Um, the combination of dogs you have, again, have a slightly increased propensity for generalised anxiety behaviours. Beagles in particular okay. can be quite reactive. Um, yes. And so what you would like to try and do initially is um, the excitement about going for the walk is terrific. But what you might be best to do initially is you put your lead on and you just walk around your backyard. So yep. what you're trying to do initially is have the excitement of having the lead on Reduced. We're getting really used to the fact that this is a normal event and we just go through our backyards so there's less triggers, less stimuli, and see if we can manage that overexcitement. So what, what you're getting from those sounds is a dog who's uh, overstimulated and the mm-hmm. overstimulus is causing that anxiety response. Um, I, I want to see it all now. I want to do it all now. What's over there? What's over here? Um, I'm, I'm not quite sure. So uh, similar again to the analogy we had of a small child, the child just needs to be having a bit of a sit down and a, a few deep breaths before we move on to the next step. Okay, so yep. um, I certainly think in this circumstance where it does seem to be generalised, so it's occurring mm-hmm. when you come home, you've got separation anxiety, we've got mm-hmm. leaving the house, so we've got departure anxiety, and we've got while walking, we've got a fairly generalised anxiety. I perhaps talk to, a, a, um, to, your, to your vet about maybe looking at some behaviour modifying medication to help you with that learning process. Um, in that often if you have some medications on board while you do that desensitization and counter conditioning, you'll get a faster acceptance rate because the brain isn't quite so frazzled by the stimuli occurring. So have a chat to them about looking at some antidepressant medication to help you with that training process. And again, I'd engage a trainer um, to help you with that as well. People like Julie are out there and they're very, very helpful in getting these dogs who aren't doing behaviours that are at this stage problematic but as you said it's embarrassing to have that dog that cries all the way up the street so if we can try and make your dog feel more relaxed and in more enjoying that that activity you'll have a better walk and so will the dog and paul it's interesting that even if it is from excitement it is still detrimental and we know ourselves if we get overexcited uh it is to our detriment you that's right your heart goes too fast and then you start feeling uncomfortable there's that fine line yep and you can't hear and see very well so what you're doing is your focus has become very distant from what you really are in the situation let's go to our final caller today Anne in metford now you need advice on supporting your blind 13-year-old dog. Yeah, that's right. Thanks. So, and did she go? Sorry, he or she? Her. So, um, as far as the blindness goes, was it a sudden onset or was it a slow onset due to, say, cataracts or retinal disease? Oh, I think we might have lost Anne. Let's say it is okay, so gradual because l- it's let's an older talk about, dog. So, so, blind, so, there are, so dogs who go blind slowly often cope exceptionally well because what has happened is that they've sent mapped their entire environment and so they can more or less do the whole thing without sight at all okay and so those dogs providing you don't suddenly turn your kitchen into your bathroom or moving furniture yeah that that can be a challenge for those dogs but dogs who go blind quickly are a very different scenario and and they can be quite a challenge for owners and for people in that the these dogs are suddenly have had all the lights go out 
and That's haven't hard. had that time period to learn, but they need to scent map their areas because they're getting less and less vision, so they're trying harder to remember where everything is. Um, and those dogs can be very challenging for owners, and I generally get them to talk to a vet about using some medication to help those dogs because their anxiety levels just go through the roof. And it is interesting to see how well uh, dogs can cope that have gone blind oh, gradually. Yeah. Um, Gizmo 15, he's he's quite blind, and he's there's three places we go now, and it's home, my nens and my mum and dad's and he knows all of the places very well because he's so used to them. Yeah, dogs are the most adaptable creature on the planet. They, they can they're do, so cool. if, if they're given the time and the right training, they can do anything. Yeah. Um, and so it's really about letting the dogs become very, so if a dog who goes suddenly blind, you give them less space to learn about first up. Ah, okay. So, so they we, can scent map So they that. scent map their space. It right. might be a couple of rooms in the house first up and then you expand that. Or ideally you have them in where they generally are most of the time and you take a mat with them from room to room to room. So part of what they recognise as safe is moving with them. Oh, that's so cool, isn't it? Yeah. Wow, amazing. Look, that's all we've had time for today. What an interesting pet chat. Julie Tolliday, thank you for coming in. I think your topic probably sparked all of these calls about behaviour, so very interesting. Well, thank you. I really enjoyed it. And, Paul, thank you again. You've been busy. I have been. You've, you've had a busy hour, haven't you? <laughs> Home for a sleep now. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds good. Thanks for listening to this podcast from 2NURFM at the University of Newcastle. Topics range from gardening to health, well-being, pet care, finance, business and travel. You'll find them all at 2NURFM.com.